such an important step in us being family here at Community Church again. It's great to look out and see some faces, as Jake alluded to earlier on. Um, good to be on that road together, to being back together as God's family. Um, you're so welcome online. Great as well to be able to look at this screen in front of me and see a myriad of smiling faces. Give me a wave from home. There we go. Good to see you're still awake and still listening. That's great. I'll test you again a little bit later on. Um, so we are getting close to the end of our series called Sit, Walk, Stand. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, and uh, it comes with these three uh, subsections to it. The first three chapters looking at our seated position as believers in Christ Jesus, what that means. The, the central section from chapter 4 through to the early part of chapter 6 is looking at how do we live out our lives as Christians in this world. What does our Christian walk look like? And then the last little section about how do we stand against the attacks and the opposition that comes our way from the evil one, from our enemy, the devil. And so that is the, the section we're at at the moment, the stand section. And um, this is part two of a short two-part series I kicked off last week. Um, dropped myself in it with the team and said, would you mind if I did these two together as, as consecutive messages? And I spoke last week and wanted to underline the fact that um, no one section stands by itself. And actually, it's not even as if the book builds towards the, the climax at the end. This is a cohesive message about what it is to be Christians in the world today. Um, we stand confidently resisting the devil's attacks, as it says on this slide. And as we do so, and indeed, um, the fact that we can stand is built upon our walk of integrity, our, our courageous walk, courageously advancing his kingdom day to day. And all of that is built on the foundation of being constantly rooted in our glorious identity. The fact that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, that he has seated us in glory with him, that we now live in this world with dual citizenship. Yes, we are in this world, but we are also citizens of heaven. We carry his presence with us, that he indwells us by his spirit. And that is something for us to be mindful of every day of our lives, not just when we hit up against difficulty or opposition or things get a bit tough, but every day of our lives to be walking with that confidence. I walk strong and secure because of Christ Jesus. I can face the opposition that comes my way because he dwells within me, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. All of these truths kind of mold together into this one beautiful picture. So that's what we're looking at um, overall. And uh, last week, as I say, we started this um, short subject um, on, on spiritual warfare. The, the, the message last week was that the primary battleground when it comes to spiritual warfare is our mind. It, it happens between our ears. Um, the enemy wants to attack us. He wants us he wants us to partner with lies and false beliefs. He wants us to believe less than is true about God. He'll question those things when we, when we read in Scripture, when we sing out in worship about how great and glorious our God is. Satan will come and he'll whisper into our mind, no, he's, not, he's not that great. He's not altogether good. He's not altogether trustworthy. He'll begin to undermine that. Or he will lie about yourself, 
about what God says is true about you. And you and I, we all, we, we cannot afford to live this life believing less about ourselves than what God says is true. He says that you are his beloved. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that he has made plans and purposes for your life that cannot be, cannot be thwarted, cannot be taken from you. He says these things are true, but so often with Satan's encouragement, we come back with a less than truth. We say, well, on my, on my good days, perhaps I might aspire to that, but most of the time I'm a failure. And when we, when we agree with those lies, we are empowering the enemy. It's like we're taking our hand out of God's hand and we're putting our hand into the hand of the enemy. We don't want to do that because he's a liar, because he wants to deceive us and to undermine us and to rob us of our strength. Satan wants to, secondly, paralyze us with fear. We spoke into that last week a little bit. Fear in all of its forms, all of its names, whether it is fear, anxiety, stress, concern, whatever label you give it, God wants you free, free from that. He wants you to know that his perfect love casts out all fear, not just high-level fear, not just crippling fear, but he, his, his love casts out every hint of anxiety and concern and stress that would rob you. And then thirdly, Satan wants to lock you and I into sinful, destructive patterns of thought. As I heard someone once put it, it's our stinking thinking. He wants us to, to deal with those wrong patterns, those wrong conclusions that we often run to about ourselves, about circumstances. It can never be better than this. Well, it's all just downhill from here. You know, some of those negative phrases that so quickly come to mind when we are faced with difficulty. Well, you know, life is just one step forward, two steps back. No, that is stinking thinking, okay? Maybe this week on social media, you can give us some examples of your stinking thinking and we'll uh, celebrate as you set those aside and lay hold of truth. This week, though, we wanna go on to um, part two of this whole subject of spiritual warfare. And we're going to be focusing in on this verse in Ephesians chapter six. This is where we've got to in our journey through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What I want to do, first of all, is just to break this one verse down into two parts and, and take a couple of quick lessons from it before we dive in a bit further. The first part is this. Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And I feel like uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this because he recognizes, he recognizes our tendency that when we face opposition, the most easy thing for us to do is to point the finger at another human being in the room and say, well, this is happening because of you. He knows that the, 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 the most common thing that we experience as we walk out our Christian life is that there will be relational conflicts. And Satan's desire is to drive as many wedges between the people of God as he can get in there. And he wants us to live our lives 
just fighting, infighting, bickering, arguing, blaming, not forgiving. I had a great privilege this week together with Nicola to sit with some people as they processed forgiveness. And it was just beautiful to watch, beautiful to observe. And this is what Satan does not want. He wants us at each other's throats. He wants us building cases against one another. I don't know about you guys. I've been watching Suits recently on Netflix. There's not much else to watch these days. And it is, as I watched it this week, I thought to myself, you know, this is like teaching the world how to build a case against one another. Every, every episode is full of argument. I think I might stop watching it, actually. It's getting to that point. But everybody is arguing. Everybody is pointing the finger. Everybody is blaming everybody else for what's going on. And God wants us to hear these words from Ephesians 6. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. So, folks at Community Church, as we seek to be his representatives in this world... Let's make sure that our hearts are not aligned against the people that God has placed around us. Let's do what we can to make sure that forgiveness and gentleness and kindness and trust and generosity and all of those glorious things that are of his kingdom, let's make sure that those are the things that characterize us in our relationships and not let Satan have his way. So that's part one. That bit Fairly easy. I'm sure you can all kind of see that. Part two of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. Our, our warfare or our struggle is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, how do you cope with that? How does your mind deal with revealed truth from Scripture that looks like that? Our struggle is against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. I want to suggest that for most of us who were brought up in the Western world, perhaps in this country, the concepts that are outlined in this verse are a little bit foreign to us. We have been brought up and educated in the post-enlightenment, post-enlightenment, secular, modern world where we have basically been taught that if you can't see it, feel it, touch it, argue with it, then it ain't real. But Scripture, God's Word, tells us that our battle is against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I just want us for a moment, let Scripture settle into your heart and affirm a truth. We need to understand that there are evil spirits in this world, that the devil is real, we cannot consign him to the same category as the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy. As convenient as that might be, he's, he's real. Scripture speaks about these evil forces, about these demonic spirits, and they are real adversaries in this world. I've, uh, Nicola and I and our family, we spent a number of years of our lives living in other nations, Nepal and China predominantly, um, Northern Ireland, terrible place. But... Um, 
I know many of you guys have come from different nations, different uh, backgrounds. And for many of you, your heritage will have informed you differently. Your heritage will have taught you, yes, of course there are evil spirits. Of course they are real. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're amongst us to give us that insight and to remind us, to kind of, you know, wake us up a little bit that these things are, are real, they are true, and they are against us. They have set themselves against us in the Spirit. Just as much as God is for us in the Spirit, the devil is against us in the Spirit. Correction, not as much. Because God and the devil are not equal opposites. God is creator forever, glorious. He is the sovereign one, all-powerful. The devil is a created being, but he's real, and we cannot just pick and choose. Look at the stories of Jesus. How many times did he drive demons out of people? If we, if we, if we say that demons aren't real, that this kind of personal evil force is not real, then we've got to actually discount huge portions of Scripture. And we can't do that. We cannot pick and choose. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says that our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it's not going to protect us to stick our fingers in the ears and go, la, 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 la. That's not true. That's, that's not going to help us. What's going to help us is to recognize and agree with Scripture when it says that these things are real. But what is also essential is that we don't let the reality of these spiritual forces become for us a source of fear. Because God never, ever wants us to fear. We do not need to fear. Because, as I mentioned earlier, greater is He, the risen Christ Jesus, who lives in us than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ has overcome. And we stand together with Him in victory at every moment. Every moment. I want to recommend another book. Last week, I recommended a book by Chris Vallotton called Spirit Wars. That is a superb book which, which deals with our internal world, mostly the battle in our minds. This week, I want to recommend a book that I almost forgot existed, and then I came upon it again this week. And it is one of the best books I've ever read on this subject. I highly, highly recommend it to you. It's called Spiritual Warfare Sideways by a Canadian author, uh, Guy Chevreau. Uh, there you can see what uh, Charlie Cleverly, the rector at St. Aldit's in Oxford, says. Chevro shows us how to fix our eyes on Jesus, fill our minds with Christ, and thus be empowered for effective spiritual warfare ministry. This book, it's the only book on the subject that I've read where every time I read a chapter, I want to stop and worship. Because it lifts up the glory of who Jesus is for us. It reminds us chapter after chapter of who he is for us and who he, how he empowers us to overcome. And to deal with our enemy kind of in the periphery of our vision. This is the, the essence of, of the title of the book. It's we deal with the spiritual warfare sideways, almost like a side swipe. Yeah, yeah, stop annoying me. Because my focus is on Jesus. My focus is on the risen one. He is beautiful. And you're not. Slap. 
I'm not going to allow Satan to take my center of my vision. Think about it when you, I'm teaching my son to drive a car at the minute. That's a scary thought. Talk about spiritual warfare. Um, but when, I, when I'm teaching him to drive, I'm saying to him, watch the road. Look right, keep your eyes on the road. Because what you focus on, you steer towards. And if our focus becomes fixated on the spiritual evil realm, then we will naturally steer our lives in that direction. And that is actually just giving Satan the attention that he wants but does not deserve. So let's be people who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Know deeply in our hearts how much he's done for us, how much we are blessed by him and strengthened by him. And then just as Jesus did, when a demonic presence came in front of his, of, of his, of his face as he did his mission, then we deal with it. He's given us power and authority to deal with it. He is our model. So what I want us to do, as I'm seeing time tick by here, but what I want us to do today, I want to deal with a common question. I want to remind us of our commission. And then as we come to a close, I want us to, to come to our God with expectation that he is going to increase our freedom today, personally, as we apply some of this truth to our lives. He wants us free. And he doesn't just want us a little bit free. He wants us gloriously, fully free. Jesus is our model, not just in the way that we do ministry, but in the expectation of the measure of freedom that we get to walk this earth with. Jesus was the freest, most liberated, most joyful person who ever walked the face of the earth. Scripture says he was anointed with joy, above all of his brothers. There was no one like him. And yet the invitation is, be like me. Walk with that measure of freedom. So that's where we're heading. We're gonna get there in a minute. The common question I want to deal with uh, today is around these terms that you may read as you look through scripture about possessed versus oppressed. You read in scripture about certain individuals who came across Jesus' path who were possessed by a demon. And a common question, I heard it, asked uh, this way at one stage at a conference. It was a um, funny phrase, actually. The person said, can a Christian have a demon? And the answer given was, well, yes, but I don't know why you'd want one. Um, they make terrible pets. But um, you know, we, we often will hear a question along the lines of, can a Christian be possessed? Can a Christian be demonized in that sense? And I just want us to, to look at a couple of different words that are used. There are, there are different words used in Scripture for possessed versus oppressed. In Luke chapter 8, verse 27, this is where Jesus gets out of a boat uh, in the region of the Gerasenes, and it says that a man who was possessed by devils came to him. The Greek word there is the word echo, and it's an interesting little word. It just made me think, actually, when you see someone who is possessed by demons, they are an echo of the nature of the demons that possess them. Their behavior echoes that of the evil spiritual realm. But that word speaks of deep internal possession, deep control. It's, a, it's an inner thing where the, where the individual has no ability to choose against the power that is coming against him or her. And 
I want us to recognize as 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, that where light is, darkness cannot be. Therefore, very simply, and not going into it in huge detail, Christians cannot be possessed by demons. Jesus lives in us. We, we see this through the whole of Jesus' ministry. Wherever he was, demons fled. When Jesus came into the life of someone who was struggling and oppressed, the demons left. So if you and I are believers today in Jesus Christ, he has made his home in you and you are safe. You are secure. You are loved. He will never leave you or forsake you. You are his. The other word for oppressed, there are a couple of other different words that are used for oppressed. One is used in Luke 4 verse 18. Uh, the word there means to be broken in pieces or shattered. And sometimes we look at people's lives who have, have come under the oppression or the opposition of the evil one, believers included, and we see brokenness where actually we should be able to see wholeness. The other word, a much more complicated Greek word, is used in Acts 10, 38, where it speaks about Jesus who went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the evil one. Uh, the word there, I think one of the great ways to describe it would be someone who is pushed around by demons, who is harshly intimidated by uh, the devil. And both of those words for oppressed are external things. So possessed is an internal reality. Oppressed is an external thing which causes brokenness. The individual could be shattered or can be just be pushed around, bullied, as it were, from the outside. So Christians cannot be possessed by demons because Jesus lives in us, but Christians can be opposed and oppressed by demons. The good news for us is that we do not need to allow opposition to become oppression. I heard someone say that we may not be able to allow birds from landing on our heads, but we can certainly stop them from building a nest there. And it's, it's very much the same thing when it comes to our attitude and our expectation to dealing with the demonic realm. We may not be able to stop them annoying us, but we have been given the authority and the power in Jesus Christ to stop them building a nest in our hair. They don't have to get a hold. They don't, they don't have to be able to have that measure of influence over us. So, because here's the really good news. And we know it so well from Matthew 28, verse 16 or 18, sorry. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if all authority has been given to Jesus, who has none? The room's being very quiet because they're not allowed to shout, okay? I'm sure all of you in Zoom land and YouTube land were, were answering there. If all authority has been given to Jesus, then who has none? The answer is Satan has none. He has no authority except that which we choose to give him when we partner with him. Okay? Jesus has all authority. And authority is only meaningful in the context of a mission. 
And so when Jesus invites us to step into his mission and he gives us the commission that comes after these verses in Matthew 28, we are stepping into the same authority with which he operates. Our expectation is to be exactly that which Jesus carried, that when he came up against a demon, he had the authority to cast it out. So when you or I go through our life and we we experience opposition from the evil one, when we experience perhaps direct satanic attack, we have the authority of Jesus Christ to come against that and to cast that influence out from our lives. Because one of the commissions, there are many in Scripture, there's at least five or six commissions that Jesus gives us. This one, Matthew 28, is kind of the umbrella one because you recognize it goes on to say, teaching them, teaching us to obey everything I have commanded you. Part of the everything is this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says to us, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. The word cast out is a strong word. It's not, excuse me, I'm so sorry to disturb you, but would you mind just leaving for a little while, you know? We don't, we don't come against our enemy like that. And you see Jesus again and again in Scripture, in the, in the Gospels, he would cast out an evil spirit with a word. He would rebuke the evil spirit and it would leave. And we are not to be a people who tolerate the presence of evil spirits in our lives or in the lives of those that we love. Because Jesus has given us authority. We carry him inside of us and our expectation is that we can cast out evil spirits that come to oppress and oppose us. So that's our commission. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, everything. I just want to remind us, if you like, to realign us to the, the grandeur of our commission that comes with the authority of Jesus. It's all of this that's on the screen right now and more. And part of it is to cast out demons that bother us because Jesus has come to set us free. This comes back to what I was saying earlier. He wants us to be the most free people on the face of the earth. So what we're going to do is just very quickly, as time is definitely running out, I want us to take a moment, those of you who are here in the Caris Center this morning, those of you who are watching online, I want you to take a moment and in these next few moments, invite the Spirit of Jesus to increase the freedom that you are walking in and experiencing today. Because He's here. As we sang, as we worshiped earlier on, honestly, the presence was thick in this room. And our Lord is not limited to physical presence in a building. He is with you as you watch on your screens from home. Just know it. Just close your eyes for a moment. Wherever you're seated in your, in your home, recognize his presence. Recognize that the one who died, who paid the perfect sacrifice 
and who rose again to declare his victory. He sits with you. I'm just seeing his hand on your shoulder, Chris Jones. Yeah. Just seeing him standing behind you. It's the same for others of you who are just watching there. He's in your midst. He holds your hand. Taz, I feel like he's just come to remind you of his very close presence with you. You are not forgotten. He's with you. We have such good news. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, that the thief or the devil, his purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And wherever you are today, if you recognize that there, is, that there are the fingerprints of the enemy on your life, on your mind, if you recognize that there are lies that have taken hold in your mind, I just want to invite you to just put your hand on your, on your head. If you recognize that there are emotions that are waging war against the stability and the peace in your heart, put your hand on your heart. If the evil one has come to steal and kill and destroy by bringing sickness into your body, then put your hand on whatever part of your body needs to be healed because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his desire, as he tells us in John 10.10, is to give you a rich and abundant life, as it says in other translations, to give you life and to give it in the full. And I've just been reminded this week that God's purposes have not changed from the Garden of Eden. When, when Adam and Eve sinned and they, they were removed from his presence, everything that God set in motion was to get that relationship back. Everything that he did in redemption history is to make a declaration to the evil one, let my people go. And he said it again through Moses when the Israelites were, were locked up in slavery and captivity. His declaration over, over his people was, I want you free. He spoke, God spoke to the authorities over that nation and said, let my people go. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, you read it in John chapter 11, he says to the people there, take off his grave clothes and let him go. I just feel that God today is gonna to take some grave clothes off people and let you go. So yeah, if you've got your hand on your head for your thoughts, your heart for your emotions, parts of your body for what has been stolen from you in terms of physical healing right now in Jesus' name, I declare freedom over you by the authority of the risen Jesus Christ who loves you, who died for you, who rose again to declare his victory forever. And in Jesus' name, and by the authority of that name, I command any evil spirit that is holding on to God's people to let his people go right now. That besetting thoughts and lies of the enemy would be dislodged from minds that pain, that emotional pain in people's hearts would be dislodged from their hearts and that there will be healing 
in physical bodies all across our community, those who will listen to this message later today, later throughout the week, or in two, five, 16 years' time, we say, let my people go. In Jesus' name, we remove the grave clothes, those things that have the fingerprints of our enemy upon them, and we declare freedom over you in the name of Jesus. Folks, that's where we are going to draw things to a close. I would love to hear testimony. If you know that God has done something right now, quickly ping a message to Jake on that, on that number um, or send us an email during the week and let us know what God has been doing. Let us know the freedom that you're stepping into because that is the way he wants us to live our lives. He wants us free. But if actually you recognize that you would just benefit from some further prayer, I want to once again commend to you our Transforming Prayer team who do such an incredible job. There's the, uh, the email address is on the screen right now. Just drop an email to office at ccbs.org.uk and some of our team would love to spend some time with you. You'll be blessed, your freedom will increase, and Jesus will be glorified. Once again, I've run over, and I'll hand back to this wonderful team. Thanks for listening.